Amen. Would you all pray with me? Father, we thank you. Yeah, we thank you for your great love with which you have loved us. We thank you for the provision of your son. We thank you, Lord, that you were and are a father to the fatherless. We thank you, Lord, that this world was bought and purchased by the blood of your son and that there are only two ways out of this life. Into the, into the glad acknowledgement of the Lordship of Christ or into the judgment of that Christ. We thank you that at the end of the ages, Lord, you will stand victorious. And by your grace, we will stand beside you. So thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, we ask today that you would send your spirit. We ask that you would teach us from your word. Um, change the way, Lord, change the way that we view the world and we view ourselves in the world as this world uh, consists in continuing uh, to stand in rebellion against its proper king. How should we respond? How should we live? How should we think? How should we feel? Would you grant that this word would help us there? We ask it in the name of Jesus for his sake. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 24. Um, happy 4th of July. Yeah. So this text in, in Acts chapter 24, the big idea is Paul has been arrested. We know this. And he's now going to be falsely accused. And what I would like to do with you as we look at this is I want to think with you about how Americans tend to to respond when the church unjustly suffers, particularly in America, right? July 4th, it's the day that we rejoice over independence. We rejoice over liberty and freedom and autonomy and those kind of things, autonomy from tyranny. And so because that's our national heritage, that's our national story, anytime we see tyranny start to creep in, and by the way, it's no longer creeping, right? Anytime we see that, we start to hand ring and we start to go, wait, what's, what's happening? The world is going to hell in a handbasket and what are we all going to do? Well, Paul is in a really tight spot. What I would like to do is to give you a lens that's the exact opposite of how we might respond to this as Americans. Question. Paul is in uh, custody by a guy named Felix who was uh, rescued by another guy named uh, Lysias, Claudius Lysias. He's being accused by Jewish brothers, and his life is in the balance. Now, let me ask you a question. Who is in danger here? In this story, we're going to see a few people. We're going to see uh, Felix. We're going to see uh, Tertullus, Ananias. We're going to see Paul. Who is in danger here? It's not the Apostle Paul. It's not the Apostle Paul. You're going to see some men casually taking the standards of God and rebelling against Him, uh, coming against one of God's most loved servants. Listen, these men are on desperately thin ice. Paul is safe and sound as though he were sleeping in his bed. There's no danger for Paul. These other men 
are on the verge of absolute destruction. And I want to show this to you. Okay, The first thing that I would like for you to write in your Bible, if you write in your Bible, side verse 1 and following, write the word peril. Write the word peril. Um, this is something that we get wrong all the time when we talk about uh, sin, the nature of sin, the consequences of sin, why we stand against things like abortion or things like homosexual uh Mirage, uh, the non-existent homosexual marriage, uh, when we stand against greed, when we stand against all of these different types of sin, typically we have a very man-centered view of sin. Well, you shouldn't do that because you're hurting other people, or you shouldn't do that because it's not what's best for you. How about you shouldn't do that because there's a holy God watching you do it. Amen. Now watch, watch these guys. They are in desperate peril. Two big sins that, that I see. One is flattery and one is false accusation. Two things that God abominates. For you to use your mouth to flatter and to conceal hatred and destruction, God hates those things. Listen to this. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. And they laid before the governor their case against Paul and when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying... So we're going to get a false accusation. We're going to get a false accusation against Paul, but it's going to start with this thing called flattery. Look at this. Quote, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight most excellent Felix reforms are being made for this nation, and in every way and in every where we accept this with all gratitude... No, they don't. No, they don't. They hate this guy. He is a Roman Gentile who's an overlord, and they hate him. And they hate everything he's done. But what do they want? They want him to take Paul out. And so they're going to lie to his face by, by flattery, by ingratiating. You just see the wheedling smiles. We are so grateful for you. Well did Jesus quote Isaiah 29. This people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And the quotation goes on. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, meaning they have never stood in the presence of a holy God and reckoned with the fear of the holiness of God. And so they don't mind flattering. They don't mind deceiving. They don't mind hiding their notions. Flattery is deadly because it moves in so close that it, so that it can strike more effectively, right? They're, they're trying to draw close. We, we um, heard story of, in, in, this, in this space, we had a visitor here. We had somebody that, that came, and they were talking to this visitor, uh, somebody that you know, and they were talking about how great, man, we just love you. You are the best. We're praying for you. You're, we just think you're the best. All, all these things, right? Somebody else comes up, third party into this conversation. Uh, they turn and start to flatter that side too. Man, you are just, we're, we're so glad you're here. We, we, we love you, all of these things. And when that person turned and left, they turn back to the original visitor and they say, that guy's walking in sin, probably not even a Christian. Just like cans a brother in the Lord after praising them to their face. So those people walking out are saying, man, that guy's so kind and so encouraging. No, that guy's a liar. 
And God sees it. And he's in danger. He's in peril. These men are in peril. Eternal peril. Now, watch their, watch their accusation. This is grand. So, we get through their flattery in verse 4. Watch the accusation. But to detain you no further. I'm not going to do British voice the rest of the time. I just wanted you to, to feel how grimy their language is. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. This is a, this is a rhetorical master. By the way, he's called a spokesman. He's a lawyer. Um, he, he's, he's lawyer, legal representation. And he's going to show you, he's going to demonstrate for you that truth is the least of his concerns. He's not after truth. He's after practicality. He wants Paul taken out. This is a this is a murderous man with kindness on his lips. Verse 5. There's a fourfold accusation against Paul. We're going to look at each one. For we have found that this man, if you write in your Bible, write the word one beside this man. This man, uh, we have found this man, one, a plague. Two, one who stirs up riots among the Jews throughout the world. And three, he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Four. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. And then he goes on to say, by examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. Then the Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. Yes, that's exactly what's going on. Okay, so look at these accusations. First, we found this guy to be a real plague, a real pest. I love some translations make it a pest, but it's pestilential. This guy, everywhere he goes, think about a plague. You um, uh, Americans who just lived through um, 2020 and 2021 with the COVID nonsense and how, um, and how we respond to a plague. What's the problem with a plague? It infects everybody, right? You got it, you come to church, and now everybody's got it, and that's a, re- a really fearful thing. Now, these guys call Paul a plague. He, Paul, is a pandemic. He's a walking disease factory. But what is he infecting people with? He's infecting people with the truth. A little thing called the truth. Listen to me. Tyrants hate it when people tell the truth. They hate it when people tell the truth because the truth will always set you what? Free. And tyrants don't want you to be free. They want you to be slaves. And so they don't want you to know the truth. Now, Paul comes into this Roman world... And everywhere he goes, he infects everybody with two things. One is the truth, and two is courage, the courage to stand. The, listen, we live in a day and age that, that uh, it's really helpful uh, a turn of phrase, where um, in ancient times when, when kids were educated in, in school, they were taught how to think. Um, they were taught how to think. In our, in our day and age, they're taught what to think, okay? These are the things that you are to think. We're not telling you how to get there. We're not telling you how to reason for yourself. This is the, this is the canon of approved doctrines. And if you so much as question it, you will be seen as a rebel. And so anytime somebody is armed with the truth and with the courage to say something, they are going to be called a real pest. A pestilence because they're going to infect everybody by just asking hard questions. Paul is a plague. Paul is also called kanuntastasis. Is what they what they say. 
is that uh, you, you've heard the word homeostasis. Stasis is like a, a standing or a state of being. Homeostasis is when the state of being stays the same. We might call it an equilibrium. When things are peaceful, everything is, it's like inertia. You're either going to stay at rest or you're going to stay in motion. You just want to, things want to continue as they are, unless acted upon by outside forces, right? And so you have this Roman world and, and there's, a Jewish, uh, there's a Jewish contingency in there, but for the, for the most part, there's, it's sort of, there's a homeostasis there. It's, it's, it's precarious, but it's, it's, it is balanced, and it's not really going anywhere unless people from inside start to impact it with worldview or people outside start to invade it. And Paul is inside plaguing it with new ideas, which are very old ideas. And he is upsetting the, uh, the traditional order. And so they call him one who disturbs the peace. Listen, tyrants will always accuse us, accuse people uh, for, accuse faithful believers for being troublers. You are always going to be called a troublemaker. Think about, think about 1 Kings 18, 17. You've got Ahab, who's married to Jezebel. They've killed the Lord's priest. They've exalted Baal in the land. They've put, they've put a stop to all the faithful worship of Yahweh. In Israel, And therefore, Yahweh's wrath is coming against Israel. And Elijah is preaching faithfulness and repentance. And Ahab meets him and he says, Ahab says to Elijah, Oh, there you are, you troubler of Israel. You, uh, you one who disturbs the peace. Look at you, causing all this problem. And I, Elijah says, Oh, I'm the problem? Like, I'm the problem? You are putting our country under the wrath of God. All right, so... When the church faithfully and humbly testifies to realities like, you know, if, if God causes you to be born with a penis, you are a boy. If God causes you to be born with a vagina, you're a thing called a woman, a girl. And it, there's, not a, there's not another way of being, we're sorry. Sorry, not sorry. They, they say, well, you are troubling. You're troubling the, the world. When you say, I will not call that guy a gal. I will not say that that guy who's beating all the women in Olympic lifting because he's competing with the women, I won't call that even victory. Whoever gets second place is first place because that's a dude there. And that's just the way it is. Homosexual marriage, when we say, hey, listen, this is not God's design. God does not honor that. These sins are going to be paid for unless they're repented and brought to Christ. Um, it's not that we're sitting in perfection and saying we have all of our stuff together. But there's a very great difference between somebody who says, man, I am covered up in sin and I need Christ to forgive me and then deliver me from the, from the power and the presence of sin. There's a very great difference between that and somebody who comes into the church and says, this thing is no longer a sin. If it were in our culture, uh, so, some, I was reading an article this week uh, about um, Gay Pride Month. And people say, why, why is the church so hung up on, on homosexuality? And uh, this, this author made a, a very good point. Like, we will be hung up on greed when there's a greed pride month. When, like, everybody takes to the street to say, yes, we're greedy and we love it and there's no problem with this. You know what I mean? Like, when, when you start to, start to take a sin that God has said, this is clearly a sin, and you start to identify yourself as such and say, I will not repent because there is no sin, we have to de decry that. We have to say that is sinful. Amen. And so we will be called... Uh, disturbers of the peace.
disturbers of the peace. It's very interesting. I, I listened to an audio of a Canadian man, this is a few weeks ago, being arrested in, uh, in Canada because he had gathered his, uh, he's a pastor, he had gathered the flock outside to worship God. And this cop showed up to arrest him. His wife is there. You can hear his kid crying in the background. And the cop is trying to explain the justice of his actions. And the guy is saying, You're, you, are, you are about to commit a wild injustice. And this cop had the gall to start quoting scripture at him. And so as they're leaving, he says, hey, the cop says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And the pastor, without skipping a beat, said, the worship of Almighty God does not belong to Caesar. Amen. And we all, we, everybody who hears that ought to shout yes and amen. And they pointed to, like he said, well, you're, you, the cop, your actions have put me in a bind. I have to arrest you. And he said, the, the pastor said, did you go and all of our governors and our elected officials who passed this unjust law, unconstitutional law, um, when they were up in the sky rise without their masks on, without social distancing, when they were eating and drinking together and having a feast with all these parties, did you go up there and arrest them? Well, no, I can't arrest everybody. Yeah, so that's a problem. That's a problem. So anyway, point is, faithfulness is always going to bring the accusation of being a troublemaker, that we are somehow being a troublemaker. I love this too. How insulting. Now listen to me again. The idea is, I'm trying to change our paradigm here, that Paul is not the one in danger. They are. Listen to what they call the Lord of glory who was crucified for the sin of man becoming the only way by which sinners can be reconciled to a holy God. Listen to what they accuse Paul of. Plague. He stirs up riots. Three. He's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Of some obscure offshoot of Christianity. This is the only way. This is... Jesus is the anticipated hope of everything in the Old Testament. And Paul is going to call him here. But I want you to see the insult that Jesus is some also ran out there. And you can place him behind, beside Buddha. You can place him behind, beside um, Allah or any other deity. And he just appears like a really cool also ran guy. This is an eternally accountable insult to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an insult to him. This is an insult. They call him a sect leader. Um, it's very interesting, right? Anytime somebody takes seriously the lordship of Christ, they will almost always get the accusation of being a sect, of being a cult, of being a radical. I had somebody, uh, this was years ago, but they, they sat down in my office and they said, you know, this church is starting to feel like a cult. And I said, you know, that's a curious, that's a curious thing. Because all that I have done is said, this is the word of Christ. And where he makes it clear what we ought to do, we're, we're just going to get about obey, obeying him, whether or not we've ever done it before. If he says it, we're going to obey it. Now, there are certain things that he doesn't say. And so we'll, we'll extend liberty. If he, uh, if he says something very clear, we're going to obey that no matter what. If he uh, leaves some open for interpretation and people can differ, that's fine. We're willing to do that. But listen to me, seriousness about obedience to King Jesus is not cultish, nor is it a sect. This is ultimate reality. This is what everybody has to be endeavoring to do. Do we do that perfect? Absolutely not. But do we want to, to try our best to be on a trajectory toward more and more and more obedience to the rightful king of the world? Yes, we do. 
And if that makes us a cult, so be it. So be it. It's, it the, the sad thing is that they're, they're, that person had been sitting under so many men who trifled with the word of God and made commands of Christ optional. Like, what about, what about that? What about, what about other guys who are not exalting Christ by reading his word and saying, we are going to obey when he commands? Okay? Paul is called a plague. A plague. He's called a disturber of the peace, a sect leader. Lastly, uh, this, is, this is glorious. He's called a profaner of the temple. But look close at what they say. This is amazing. Uh, verse 6. He even, it's, it's, their, it's their max accusation. He even tried to profane the temple. Do you know what it means when you try? I remember our coaches used to say, you know, did you block that guy? And I said, well, I tried. And they would say, there's no trying, there's just do it. You did or you didn't. Right? Well, he tried. Uh, he tried to prevent it. Well, did he? Well, no. But he tried. He had that look in his eye. Like, it was intent. We were pretty sure he wanted to profane the temple. Did he do it? No, he didn't. But we're sure he did, and therefore he's guilty. He even tried to profane the temple. What the, this reminded me of my sister when she was in high school, and she would talk about somebody. She hasn't done this in, in a long time. Uh, she's sweet, and I love her. She used to say things like, yeah, I don't, I don't like that guy. And I'd say, why? Well, he was, he was rude to my friend. This is what he said, and da-da-da-da-da. Like, these are my three points of accusation. He was rude. This is what he said, and da-da-da-da-da. Like, da-da-da-da-da is like a, a real thing I'm supposed to consider. Like, oh, okay, da-da-da-da. So, so Paul is, he's a plague. He's, uh, he deserves the peace, and da-da-da-da-da. Like, he, he, we're pretty sure he wanted to profane the temple and, and do some bad stuff. So you need to, you need to condemn this guy. How is this for an accusation? This is the second huge sin that they make. One, they do not fear God and they do not repudiate flattery and speaking true, like letting their mouth reflect their heart. They are deceiving, but they're also falsely accusing. Now watch what watch how they end this. He says in verse 8, uh, Tertullus does, By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. Do you know what that is? That's just bluster and blow. When you know that you don't have the evidence, you try and pretend like any reasonable person looking at this same thing is going to conclude with us. Now, if you want to be reasonable, conclude with us and condemn him. But, uh, you know, see, see to it yourself. This is uh, the emperor without clothes, right? Nobody wanted to ask the question of like, he looks naked to me because they were afraid of like, uh, of, uh, being on the wrong side of history or of, of, uh, of not seeing what everybody else could see and of being humiliated there. And that's what they try and get this guy to go for. If you will just, if any reasonable judge will look at this guy and ask the questions like, you're going to conclude what we conclude, which is such an amazing statement, right? It's, it's, it's not as though he thinks Paul is going to cooperate to condemn himself. He just is trying to make it so obvious that Paul ought to be condemned that no reasonable person would think, Otherwise, So, two things. First, be very, very slow to make or believe accusations. Make, uh, so how do, you, how, how do you avoid making faulty accusations? Study, make a careful study of those things that you do not know before you level an accusation. So, uh, is there, uh, are there accusations in the scripture? Yes. Uh, Paul talks about, um, in 1 Timothy, accusation against elder. It needs to come on the evidence of two or more witnesses, that people that saw it. It's got to be the same thing. But guys, we've got to be very, very careful to make or to believe accusations when we, when we 
don't know whether or not they're they're accurate. And two, we need to be very, very um, careful to not fear those who do not fear the Lord. We read, I brought it up here so that I could so that I could read it to you. One of the things that, that gets me bent out of shape more than anything about what our culture does um, is, is the murder of thousands of innocent babies. Now listen, listen to what, um, what he says uh, in the psalmist. That God is, God is a father to the fatherless. Do you know what that means? That means he sees every time. He sees every time. And he will answer. So don't, don't let's be afraid of people like this. Okay, so that's their peril. Now watch Paul's um, parry. They try and stick him, and he just sort of deflects it with nice and glorious ease. They thrust, and he parries their attack. Now, they flattered. Paul is going to give flat truth. Watch this. Uh, the Jews all join in in verse 10. At the end of verse 10, no, Paul said, Paul replied, knowing that for many years you have been judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Notice, he doesn't butter this guy up. You've been a great judge for all of this time. We just think you're the best. He doesn't say that. He just says, you've been, you've been at the job a long time, and therefore I'm glad to make cheerful to make my defense. So he does not flatter. He just tells the truth. He's grateful, but he's not ingratiating. Now, he's going he's gonna to show how his own case stands upon facts and how theirs stands upon suggestions. Paul is going to tell this guy, listen, evidence matters. Listen to this. I cheerfully make my defense. Verse 11. You can verify. If you write in your Bible, circle the word verify. Um, you can verify. There's, there are facts at play here that you can go look at, look up. You can verify that it's not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me uh, disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or the synagogues or the city. Paul says, I've been there for 12 days, and... No riots. I was minding my own business, doing absolutely nothing of what they said. Uh, verse 13. Neither can they prove. Circle the word prove. They can't prove to you what they now bring up against me. There, there's no evidence. None of them saw me do it. None of them were there. There's no evidence that they can, that they can give you. Verse 14. Then he gives a little. He says, but this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect. You see that? The way, he will not let that stand, that you would call Jesus Christ a sect. He won't let it stand. The way, the way that they call a sect, they call it a tributary. It's the main body of water, okay? What they call a sect, I call the way. And I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Do you know what he's saying there? Everything that they claim to believe points to Jesus. Who's the sect? When they refuse to acknowledge the rightful lordship of Christ. Paul says, I'm in the right. They are in the wrong. Verse 15, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, although they, uh, although they deny the substance of it. That there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Verse, uh, verse 16, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and men. Now, after several years, I came bringing alms to my nation and present offerings. When I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without a crowd or a tumult. But some Jews from Asia, and then he parentheses, they ought to be here. Circle the word ought. They ought to be here before you to make an accusation. The guys who saw me uh, so, uh, allegedly uh, 
profaning the temple. They should be here, but they're not. That's curious, right? You're accused of something, but you're, you, you don't get to stand in front of your accusers. Should they have anything against me? Or else, let these men themselves say what wrong they have found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing, I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. So Paul doesn't flatter. He tells the truth. He looks at the facts, not suggestions. He says, and this is very, very important. He says, um, I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Would you look over in chapter 23, verse 1? This is when he first stood before the council. Looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Remember, Trey talked about our conscience and how it's an internal guide. And our, uh, to, to live in accordance with your conscience is to act consistently with what your conscience says is righteous good behavior. And he pointed out rightly that when Paul was going to pursue and persecute the church, he was doing so in accordance with his conscience. His conscience was, was wrong and warped, but he was behaving uh, in line with his conscience. And so he needed a change of conscience to get, to get back on the right track. But listen, this is just a... Um, as, as we look at as we look at these uh, these pagan and godly, godless men um, in in peril, and look how Paul walks through this. I want I want to give you a word here about about our conscience, um, and that is that when we one of the great enemies of of Christian men to stand where they need to stand and have the courage to tell the truth and to stay put. One of the great um, uh, hindrances to that is a defiled conscience right if you have skeletons in your closet if you're if you're uh the way you are living is not in accordance with the god that you are preaching your conscience is being violated and listen to me you will not stand you will not stand if paul knows there's something that if they if they only knew this about me I, i'd be done for he can say with confidence look through my drawers here's my checking account here's everything i got I, I've walked with a clear conscience. This is not true. There are many, many men in our society that cannot stand because their consciences are defiled. Okay? Uh, we, we just elected a new president to the SBC. And no sooner did he get elected than all of these videos start hitting the internet where he's been stealing uh, sermons from our previous SBC president. And I mean, it just puts it right side by side. The previous guy had, I think, nine guys on his staff writing sermons for him. And so he wouldn't have known if his sermons were being stolen or not. But then the new guy has been lifting just, just verbatim, whole sermons, just like not, not saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm dependent upon this guy. He preached a great sermon, so I'm going to give it to you, which I do all the time, by the way. Uh, but I always tell you when I do that, or at least I do my very best to do that. But, um, but this skeleton in his closet that he's been... He's been leading on the words of other men. Um, and now all of a sudden he's got to be he's got to be taking sermons down and he's got to be doing all of these shady things when he needs to be leading. Conscience matters. Paul has a clean conscience before God and therefore can meet his accusers eye to eye. And they are the ones that will be ashamed. Can I can I read? Can I read you something glorious? Uh, this is uh, this is first Peter. He says, uh, uh, in your hearts, honor, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, like Paul just did. 
having a good conscience like Paul had, so that when you are slandered, like Paul is being slandered, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Let me ask you something. In the last day, is Paul going to hang his head over these things, or are these men going to hang their head? These men will bear the shame of their, of their guilt. Let me ask you, in the last day, when the men who slandered and, and worked so that Christ would be crucified, who's going to hang their head? Is Christ going to say, yeah, you know, they had it, they had it right? Or is Judas going to hang it? Obviously, these men will be put to shame, okay, because Paul has a clear conscience. Now, this is glorious. So, if you're a judge, right, you're a dignitary, you have responsibility, you're an arbiter, you're to, you're to listen for truth and then make a judgment. Now, what do you do when an innocent man is being accused by a powerful and a threatening mob? I'm not sure if I pointed that out or not. But when they say to this Roman dignitary, through you, now, we've enjoyed a lot of peace, a lot of security. There's been, there's been not a lot of Jewish uprising. What are they threatening? What are they getting at? When, when, when Christ's accusers say, if you, if you don't crucify this guy, you're no friend of Caesar's. We only have one king, and it's Caesar. And we'll write to him. What are they doing? What are they doing? They're trying to force Pilate to do something that he doesn't want to do. Threatening. It's a veiled threat, but it's a threat nonetheless. We will riot. We will riot. We'll cause riot if you don't do what we're asking. And so this is a dignitary. There's an innocent man that he knows is innocent, and he's being accused by a powerful and threatening mob. Here's your three options. One, you can declare him innocent. You can speak the truth and let consequences be what they are. He's innocent. This is clear. We're in a courtroom setting. Is there evidence for it or is there not? There is not. So what should he say? Not guilty. Gavel falls. We're done. Second, you can declare him guilty. You can lie to appease the mob and let your conscience. So in, in the first scenario, you're letting consequences be what they may. Now you're violating your conscience and letting it be what it may. I know that this is not right, but I'm going to do it anyway. And that's a sin against conscience, and that's neither safe uh, nor, uh, nor wise. So you can declare him innocent uh, for your conscience' sake. You can declare him guilty for the mob's sake. Or you can declare that you need just a little more time. And that's what he does. He, it says he puts, he puts them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Not right now. Let's take, let's take five. Let's take five. Now, this is very interesting. It's just like... Pilate. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, but he also knew that if he said he's innocent, he's going free, that the Jews would riot and that his. So what Pilate feared and what this guy fears ultimately is his upline in the Roman Empire. Whoever's his boss, if my if my district that I'm supposed to keep in the peace, if they start to rebel, that's going to come down on me and it's going to be bad. So he's afraid of his consequences from his upline. And so he yields to the mob. Pilate did the same thing and tried his best. Let me ask you something. Does the crucifixion of an innocent man wash off with soap and water? How often has the church gathered for 2,000 years and we, and we say Jesus was crucified because the Jews were unfair, but it wasn't Pilate's fault. He just, he just did a political expediency. No, we say every single Sunday he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. It was that guy's fault. It was that guy's job to speak the truth, declare him innocent, and let consequences be what they may. He didn't. 
This guy is the same thing. He's going to try and get out by appeasing his own conscience. He knows Paul is innocent, but he's not going to do what's right because he's fearing the wrong party. How could those men have flattered and lied? Because they, they were fearing the wrong party. They were not fearing God. This guy is not fearing God. And so he puts them off saying, when Lysias, the tribune, that's the guy who rescued Paul, when he comes down, then I'll decide your case. Guess what? Is this going to surprise anybody? No, he doesn't. He doesn't decide his case when Lysias comes down. He keeps Paul in prison for two years. He's not going to do what, what his word says he's going to do because he feels like he's in a tight spot, a, a, a lose-lose situation. So then he gave orders. So he's going to do something you know, kind for Paul. Um, he's not going to do right by releasing him. But he's, he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from uh, attending to his needs. So, uh, Russ, you're innocent of all charges, but you're still going to have to remain under house arrest, and uh, we're going to have to make sure and keep tabs on you. You're going to have to tell your neighbors that you might be guilty. Is that just? Of course not. Of course not. But he's a coward. He can't look the mob in the face and say, go find something else to do. You're not going to pressure me into injustice. Now, verse 24. Um, so you see peril. You see Paul's parry. You see this guy punt. Now, write down the word paranoia beside verse 24. This is glorious. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Now, just as a brief pause, why? Right? Sometimes... We get in scenarios and we don't know how we got there. And so we're just, we're trying to make do with the best we've got with what we have. So here's a Jewish gal married to an unjust, cowardly Roman guy. And we might ask like, why? How did we get here? How did we get to the point where Hadassah, a Jewish girl, is married to a Hazarus? That should not have been. How did we get here? Sometimes, right, we put ourselves in situations we know we shouldn't be in, but we're in them, and we're trying to do the best with what we have, and this is what's going on. So his wife is Jewish. We might ask, how in the world did Drusilla get given to this guy? Uh, but she was. And so he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ. What does the apostle Paul do when you say, what do you want to talk about? He talks about faith in Christ, which is why he's called a real pest and a pestilence. He speaks about faith in Christ. And as he reasoned, listen to that, as he reasoned, he's not, he's not trying to elicit the emotion. He's, not, he, he's reasoning about the truthfulness of, of righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Listen to me. This is, this is a fantastic apologetic for the truth claims of Christ. This man is in the shadow. Like he can go check on all of these things that Paul says. Paul tells the Corinthians the same thing. You can go talk to people who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead, and so can this guy. So it's not just ideas. He's like, oh, I don't know, maybe it could be true, maybe it couldn't. He can go verify. As Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, he's going to punt a second time, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. This is twice now this man has been confronted with truth, and both times he punts. Brothers and sisters, could you just sit in the soul-crushing gravity of this for a moment? How many people have eternally perished this same way? 
when you say, look, you are a sinner. And your sinner has placed you under the wrath of God. And God has provided a Savior in the person of His Son, Jesus, who died for you so that your sins could be forgiven. You need to repent of your sin and your self-righteousness. You need to trust in Him and receive salvation as a free gift. And then He's going to come in as Lord and rearrange some things. How many times have people been confronted with their own sin and their need for Christ and not denied, not said, I don't know if I can believe that or not. That's hokey. But actually have been alarmed. Something in their internal mindset is saying, this is right. I'm driving toward a, toward a busted out bridge and I'm a dead man if I don't stop. And how many people have said, why don't we come back tomorrow? Let's talk about this another time. Brothers and sisters, that should not shock you. Romans, uh, Romans 1 says that the truth is suppressed not by logic but in unrighteousness. It just in sin. I, I, I don't like that truth, so I'm just going to not deal with it today. That's his, that's his, um, yeah, his mentality. Um, listen to me. You don't ever have to sing that you're going to burn in hell songs with gladness, but you and I do have to testify to the reality that the lake of fire is an eternal reality for every single human being outside of Jesus Christ. Everybody. If we're preaching in such a way that people are not alarmed, we are probably not being faithful. Probably not being faithful. I'm not saying you have to be mean-spirited, and I try my best. I don't like to be. Um, I don't. I, you know, I don't want to see alarm, and so I, I try and ease into these things. And I think a lot of times I go too far to, to that side. We have to testify to the reality of the coming judgment. Um, Gracie read me a quote of a, uh, a person that she knows who uh, took her uh, her cause to social media. She was married to a man. Now she's married to a woman. Uh, same person, right? So this is our this is the world in which we live. Her husband decided he was going to be a gal. And so she wrote about, like, that Jesus is love and not judgment. And anybody who tells you that there's judgment is misrepresenting Christ and all these things. Listen, do not believe it. Don't believe it. You got people... 90 miles an hour down a dead-end road like the like the How Ketchum song. Um, and there will be a payday someday. And we have to we have to point that. We have to point out realities to people so that they can know their peril and turn if God is gracious. Expect people to be alarmed and desire to change the subject. Okay, lastly, protection and providence. I won't be long on this, but this is glorious. Watch this. Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. This guy is great. <clears throat> so he sent for him often and conversed with him. Have you ever, have you ever been um, around somebody who just wants to talk, but they don't ever want to do anything? We just talk and talk and talk and talk. Let's get together and talk again sometime. Let's just do this. But it never leads to, like, doing anything. The grass is growing. We need to mow it. Well, let's come over and talk about it. He just keeps coming back. Now, verse 27. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portia's... Uh, Portius Festus, and notice this, desiring to do the right thing. He let Paul out of prison. What does he desire? Desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Let me ask you something. Can you think of anywhere in your scripture where the hero of the story was falsely accused and hated by his Jewish brothers, where he was thrown into prison, uh, on the on the 
um, unjust behavior of, of a Gentile lord, somebody who is a Gentile in authority over him. And so he found himself in prison for two years. And then, under the ridiculous providence of God, he comes out of prison and he saves the world. Can you think of anybody like that? Well, so it's Joseph, right? Sold into slavery by his Jewish brothers, goes into Potiphar's house where he should be treated justly, and he's falsely accused, goes to prison for two years. The same amount of time that Paul is in prison here. Joseph comes out of prison, and he gives bread to the world. Now here we got another hero of the story, uh, rejected by Jewish brothers. This guy should be leading in Israel. All of Israel should be coming to this guy as the Elijah of the day and say, we're in line, tell us where to go. Instead, they accuse him. This Gentile is not treating him justly, and so he remains in prison for two years, and guess what's going to happen? He's going to come out, or maybe stay in, and he's going to bring the bread of life to the entirety of the world. Listen to me. Um, the guys at the front end who are, uh, who are flattering and falsely accusing, uh, who can bring a charge against God's elect when it's God who justifies and they're going to accuse him? And you think that that's safe for you? This guy who's hearing about his own coming judgment and his need for Christ, and he rejects and he, and he uh, doesn't do what's right by Paul, and we think that Paul is the one in danger. No, no, brothers and sisters. All of these men are in danger. Paul is exactly where God intends him to be. And Paul takes over the Roman Empire for the name of Jesus Christ. We need these stories now more than ever. Things in our country, listen to me, will get better. That We are on the rise, not the fall. It may look different. It may look like things are... Go into hell in a handbasket and listen to me. Water rolls downhill, does it not? Does the sun ask you for permission? Does the sun take a vote whether or not it's going to rise? Well, neither does the Lordship of Christ. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we're told in the scriptures, he must make, uh, he, he must reign until he has made his enemies a footstool for his feet. And he will not ask permission. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Things will get better because the world belongs to Christ. Therefore, as water rolls downhill, so his lordship will not be undone by the cowardice of those in high office or the treachery and sin of those claiming to represent Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, you are the victor. And so regardless of our circumstances, we may be in a four by four cell. And yet we shall look for the victory. Um, God, these are the stories that you love to tell. You love to take weak things and shame the strong. And so we trust you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to mortify the hand-wringing over the state of affairs in our day. We are not the ones in danger. We who are hidden in Christ. Those who refuse to bow their knee, they are the ones who you hold in derision. They are the ones against whom you scoff and laugh at them. They are the ones that you speak to them in your fury and terrify them in your anger by saying, I've made my king and put him on Zion. Deal with it. So, we're not in peril. Would you help us to be bold? Would you help us, Lord? to endeavor to live our lives with a clean conscience before God and man so that we could stand in the day of false accusation.
bringing shame not to ourselves and to our king, but to, uh, to those who would falsely accuse us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. And speaking of stories that teach us, once upon a time, there was the only innocent man who has ever lived. He was backstabbed and betrayed by a friend that he had served for years. He was subjected to false accusation by religious authorities, slandered by men who pretended to love the truth, and physically abused by the hands of sinful men that he had created. He underwent mock trial after mock trial, and every ounce of accusation thrown at him bounced off like the child's retort, I am rubber and thou art glue, it bounces off me and sticketh to you. He came through all those things, lily-white and innocent, yet they were as crimson and as iniquitous as filth. And that innocent man, instead of going free, was stripped, shamed publicly, flayed open with Roman whips, beaten beyond recognition, and nailed up high on a Roman cross like the worst of criminals. The world had never and will never again see such a perversion of justice. And yet, and yet by those stripes we were healed. And yet those wounds purchased our just forgiveness. And yet his blood covered our sin. The story behind this bread and this cup is a story of God snatching victory out of the jaws of defeat and then defeating defeat itself. Jesus gave his body and blood for us. He died for us so that death itself would die. You were bought with a price, Paul tells the Corinthians. You were bought with a price, and so was the world. Today, let us remember the price that was paid. Let us remember that our greatest threat was the just wrath of God, which is no longer a threat for those in Christ, because it was poured out on Christ. Let us remember that no tyrant who lifts a defiant head against King Jesus shall keep that defiant head until sundown. I'd like to reread that to you. Let us remember that no tyrant who lifts a defiant head against King Jesus shall keep that defiant head until sundown. Let us remember Christ. Let us be glad, for he must and shall win, and we shall win with him. So come, welcome to King Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you minister to us? God, would you minister the type of kingdom optimism that ought to be ours in Christ? That he is the victor. And he carries us on his coattails into the winner's circle. We are on the podium with King Jesus in such a union that Paul could say to the church that God will soon crush Satan under your feet. Thank you, Lord, for giving your body to be broken for us, to giving your blood to be shed for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you come give us purification uh, from sin when we confess that you would be faithful and just to forgive us our sin? Give us power, Lord, to walk in holiness and give us a joy that's fitting to those who've been forgiven. We ask it in Christ's name.